0: everyone had a good night's rest last night. I'd like to be able to tell you that I just had the most wonderful night's sleep that you can imagine, but I didn't. Had a lot of trouble going to sleep for some strange reason last night. That happens every once in a while, and it did last night. And I'm laying there in bed about uh, one of those, uh, you know, you don't know whether you're awake, whether you're asleep. About 2 o'clock in the morning, there's a big clap of thunder, and I don't know how many car alarms went off at the same time, bam, 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 they're at the motel, and radio in the room came on, and Margaret's changing from one station to another, trying to get it shut off. Finally Esther, she's awake. <laughs> it was quite an exciting, wasn't much going to sleep after that, so <laughs> bear with me if I seem a little groggy this morning. We're going to talk about walking in the light. This is a pretty straightforward approach. I hope it can be partially award uh, rewarding to you as the service so far has been to me and so I've been very much the prayer service and the good singing that we've had this morning praising the lord uh first John chapter one verses five through through ten if you will i I think I have most of these on the board with you. Some of you may have to use your bibles and follow with me if you choose to do so. This then is the message we have heard of him, and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we walk in the in dark, excuse me, if we walk in the light, uh, if we say that we have fellowship with him, excuse me, and walk in darkness, we lie; and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Very straightforward passage, one that we need to hold very dear to us because it has powerful meaning to us. Verse 5 again. This then is the message we've heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that God is proclaimed to us. This is one that John uses. God is light, there's no darkness, there's no flaws, there's no sin in God. He is the He is perfection in every way. Pure holiness. Peter puts it this way in First Peter chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the quote that Peter is making. So that's the admonition that we have. But again, God is light. God is perfection. God is holiness. And he admonishes his children, those of us who follow him through Jesus Christ, to be holy as he is holy. Complete righteousness. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God. That's a phrase that is also says pretty much the same thing. It's holiness, righteousness, pure righteousness, without flaw, without sin. That's what God is. And that's what He's speaking of there. Be therefore, uh, excuse me, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, to be in God's light is to be free from sin, obviously. And to be free from sin, we must be in Christ. And like I said, this is very basic. I think uh, everybody's going to pick up on this real easy, most of us here at least. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And then a few verses later, verse 21, same chapter, he says, Apostle Paul writes, for he hath made him to be sin, God has made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for us in the sacrifice that he made for us. For what reason? So that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And that's the idea. How are we made righteous? How are we made the righteousness of God? By the blood of Jesus Christ that we read about in 1 John chapter 1. And also here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It cleanses us from all sin. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Last evening I pointed out that Christianity, I didn't believe, existed of a a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, do this, dot this side, dot this side, cross this T, get everything right, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you'll be a Christian and everything will be right. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I think God expects us to walk a certain way. I think God expects us to do everything that we possibly can to perfect ourselves in such a way that we will represent what He stands for, and that's pureness. That's holiness. And so he gives us his son and allows Jesus to die for us. And his blood cleanses us from sin. Now, we're going to talk about the process of walking in the light. Now, I've done that a little bit last evening. We're going to talk about that some more this morning. But in doing that, I want us to remember in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What cleanses you from your sins? It's the blood of Jesus Christ, and we don't want to ever, ever leave the impression that it's something else, some act that I might perform, something that I might do necessarily that causes God to to wash away my sins. My sins are washed away. Your sins are washed away. They are so by the blood of Jesus Christ. We come in contact with the cleansing of bron- uh, blood b- b- excuse me blood of Christ uh, where it was shed. And that was in his death. His death on the cross. Whenever he died, uh, the gospels reveal that very clearly. You know, we get the world gets all wrapped up in Jesus' birth, you know. We have four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us about Christ, that reveal the picture and the person of Jesus Christ. Two of those talk a little bit about his birth, or about his birth, and that's Matthew and, and Luke. Mark says very little. John skips that part and goes all the way back to the very beginning before creation to talk about the personage of Jesus Christ. And him was light, or excuse me, uh, he was with God, and all things that were made were made by him. Without him was not anything made. And that him that he was talking about in John chapter one became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse fourteen, I believe, of chapter one of John. So how do we come in contact with the blood that he shed? All four of these books address his death. All four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go into detail about the death of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He made and the blood that He shed on Calvary for our sins. Fulfilling the law, completing it, and allowing us to have an opportunity to be with God, to come to God through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Well, we do that by coming in contact with that death that He, that He, uh, that He experienced for us. Romans chapter six. And that whole chapter here is I think it was Michael one time I heard say that every Christian would do well if he memorized Romans chapter six. I totally agree with that that's a about as complete a chapter if you want to pull one out uh, as you can to to personify becoming a Christian and and what it means but it starts out here he says in verse one what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin grace and grace may abound? God forbid how shall we that are dead to, li- to sin live any longer therein and then he says in verse three, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death. What happened in his death? That's where he shed his blood. His blood that does what? Washes away our sins and gives us an opportunity to be with Christ or to be with God. Galatians 3 and verse 27, For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We've become a new creature. Why is it important for this study? Most of you probably, maybe all of you that's of age, I don't know, has probably done that or heard it taught and know the importance and the value of being obedient to the gospel that we've just described. So why are we studying that this morning? Why does that fit in with this subject of walking in the light? Why is it important? It is because regardless of our walk, as I pointed out, I don't want to ride this horse too much here, but because, regardless of our walk, it's the blood that forgives our sins. If sins are forgiven, they are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I think I already said that, didn't I? <laughs> That's why I hate PowerPoint. I get ahead of myself sometimes. Does that minimize the importance of our Christian walk? And I don't think it does. I think it maximizes it. Because Jesus did this for us, because God provided what we couldn't do for ourselves, and that is perfection and a way that we could be seen as perfect in his sight. I think for a person that comes to God through Jesus Christ that's truly from his heart committed to God, committed to be that new creature, it maximizes our walk. It means that we want to be everything that we can't be for God now some people struggle with different problems and we're going to talk about a little bit about that in just a minute but if we do not walk in the light we walk in darkness it's one or the other we can't have both Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 Jesus said no man can serve two masters either he will come to one and uh, hold to one excuse me he no man can serve two masters. He, he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And there's other places that teach basically the same thing, but that's pretty clear to us. So back in, in John, uh, does it mean we have to live perfectly without sin in our walk? Oh, I didn't touch that. It's magic. First John chapter 1, verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have felt... Huh? Oh, okay, yeah. That's just a little white pad over there. I didn't know. (laughs) Let me move over here a little bit. Okay, sorry about that. (laughs) If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, one with another. Well, I think we've gone over that passage enough that we kind of got an idea of what it says. Back to Romans chapter 6, moving on down to verse 11 of that chapter. Again, maximizing the walk. We likewise, or excuse me, likewise, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. What does it mean for something to reign, or for someone to reign over a people, or someone, a king, would have authority over people, and he'd have control of them the uh, maker of pinocchio had control of P- uh, pinocchio well we we're not to let anything reign over our mortal body take control of it does that mean that we're going to be perfect all the time that we're not that we're going to not struggle sometimes with different things no it doesn't mean that we're going to we're going to have those struggles and and but it's the idea of what we're trying to accomplish in our life with our body, while we're in this body. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. That means that when we become a Christian, we come up out of the watery grave of baptism, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us, but now we have a responsibility, we have a responsibility not to let the sin that's around us, it's still out there, Some of those temptations that we've had in our own life prior to our initial commitment are still there. Some of those feelings, some of those emotions, some of those desires, they're still there. They don't magically go away. I know a lot of times people teach that, but I don't believe that that happens. It goes away through our commitment and our desire to do what God teaches us to do. Again... Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. You have control. He's talking to Christians there. You have control of your body. And it's up to you what you're going to allow it to do. See? But yield yourself unto God. That's our responsibility. Yield yourself unto God as those, excuse me, yourself unto God, as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. That's the responsibility that we have. I used to be a a machinist. I finally got into some tool and die work before I started preaching the gospel a long time ago, different lifetime. And we had tools that we worked with. They were our instruments. We had micrometers, outside micrometers. We had inside micrometers. Before I could go to work, I had to have my own tools. Now, those micrometers that we had and those tools that we had that we used to manufacture different parts in tool and die work, oftentimes, that we used to manufacture other parts, those tools that we had in the manufacturing to make sure that they were proper, we had to calibrate. They weren't worth a dime in manufacturing another product if they were not accurate. So we had a standard that that's what it was called, a standard for micrometers. And each tool had its own method of calibrating it so that it was accurate. Well, a standard for a micrometer, for example, was a one-inch round piece of hardened metal that you could put inside a, one, a zero to one micrometer. There's other standards for other sizes of micrometers. And you could standardize it, and if it didn't measure what it was supposed to, well then you could make the proper adjustments on the on the micrometer. Does that make any sense to you? I hope it does. Okay. That was my responsibility. That was our responsibility. The, the, the micrometer was useless if it was not calibrated properly. The standard for us is God and His holiness and His righteousness. And it's declared to us, here in the Word, in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament as well. But that's what's declared to us. God is revealed to us. And He gives us a choice, as we pointed out either Friday night or Saturday night or both, that we're created by God to have a choice. He wants us to serve Him. He wants us to follow Him based on our desire and our will to commit ourselves to Him. But He leaves that up to us. He wants us to do it because that's what we want. All of, those of you that's old enough to have children and grandchildren, you know what I mean here. When we talk about our children, I've had—I've had, I've had uh, my oldest daughter one time came to me and uh, I can't remember junior, senior, uh, maybe it was a junior first year little town where we lived that they had a dance at school. And she come to me and she said, "Daddy, they're having a dance at the school. You tell me I shouldn't do that. That I shouldn't go to that dance." And I won't do it. And I said, "Why won't you do it?" She said, "Because if you tell me not to, I won't do it." And I told her, and a lot of people don't agree with me on the way I handle this, but I said, "Darling," I said, "That's a choice. The age you are, seventeen years old. You're going to need to make that choice for yourself. Because when you walk out of this house in a year or so on your own to go to college, you're going to be making a lot of choices. And I want you to look at the situation, look at the environment, look at." Look at this choice that you're making. It goes back to what we talked about last evening a little bit, and make the choice that you feel like will be best to glorify God. She said it'd just be a lot easier if you just said yes or no. And I said I'm going to do that. I said I'm sorry. You're going to have to make that call. You're old enough to make that call. That's part of growing up. Now, like I said, if you're a parent and you're looking at your children, you don't view that. And young people, if you've got parents that don't approach you that way, you follow your parents. You listen to what your parents say. But but that's kind of the way I handled it. And my thinking was basically this. I wanted her to do it because she made the choice based on the from her heart. Now, somebody's going to come up and ask me later, well, did she dance or didn't she? So I'll just go ahead and tell you. She'd come home, and I said, well, how did it turn out? And she said, I'll never dance again. So evidently she did that night, but she said, I'll never do that again. And evidently it didn't go... She felt uncomfortable doing that, and that's, and she made the choice not to if she 'd made the choice to do it i wouldn 't have disowned her i 'm not I have a difficult time finding the somebody told me the Bible clearly teaches you shouldn 't dance i 'm getting way off my subject here <coughs> i hadn 't found that place yet somebody 's going to have to show it to me. Everything I read about dancing is uh, kind of positive rather than negative course the dancing that we read about that's positive in the bible is glorifying god and glorifying him michael you've been to nigeria you see some of those people when they would walk up and lay their contribution on the table and they'd be singing it was almost like a dance when they would walk up especially the ladies they just couldn't do it without some rhythm how i got off on this line i have no idea but anyway that's that's all free stuff but you get the idea of what I'm talking about here. Ultimately, as we grow and we develop into adulthood and as adults, and that's who basically we're focusing on here, we have to understand that we are instruments of righteousness. What we do, the choices that we make, the actions that we perform, is it glorifying God? Is it for Him? Or is it to satisfy maybe lust that we have? or some past... Desires that we might have had. Let's move on. Uh, A Christian has uh, uh, repented of his past life. Uh, He's made a commitment to live righteously, to walk in the light. I think I've already kind of covered this. This is where the rubber meets the road, as we often say. Some become Christians before sinful habits are formed, others later in life. And probably that's the case here in this audience today. Some people are blessed, I used to say are blessed or cursed, are blessed, we'll leave the curse down, are blessed to be raised in a, in a godly home where the people that surround them are all Christians and all try to make the right choices in life, where they're taught to make the right choices, where they're taught that sin can be harmful and and degrading to them as a person and to their to their body. And they're raised that way. And they get old enough and they get, and they have a desire to really put on Christ and become a Christian and be what they've seen their dad or mother or grandmother or granddad and uncle and aunt and whatever be. And that's what I want to be. And so they become Christian. We got people in this audience, I guarantee you, that have done it that way. Then you have people that come into this world And they haven't experienced that. They come into a family. What a choice that they made. It's a choice somebody else made. And all they've known maybe is violence, abuse of chemicals, abuse of alcohol, oftentimes taught to do wrong things. I baptized uh, several people one time from a family that would take their kids out and, and teach them to rob and steal in their, uh, in Walmart and places like that. Now, what would it be like to grow up in a home like that? But then you hear hear about Christ, and you don't want that past life. That's got to be a key. I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to be that anymore. I talked a lot about my dad last evening. You know what my daddy could never do? He could never blame him to, or, or, excuse me, he could never bring himself to the point. He was an alcoholic, if you weren't here. He could bring himself to the point where he said, I don't want to drink anymore because it brought joy to him. It might make him miserable. It might put him in jail. It might make him so sick. He threw up everything. He might not know anything for a couple of weeks because he's in a blackout state. But when he got all cleaned up, well, he went right back to it. I think the Bible speaks about that, you know. Kind of like the sow that was cleaned from its wallowing in the mar, returns right back to it after it's washed. And you have that kind of situation. But somewhere you have something that happens, something that's taught, an influence made, an example set, that causes people that might be in that depraved situation to say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be a better person. I used to work at a counseling center, and I had a Young lady that was also a young counselor. She right out of college, and she'd come bouncing in the in the office every morning. She uh, smelled like she just stepped out of the man box. Her hair smelled so good, and it was. She always took care of herself. She was, and we would go and we would put programs on at the different schools, and I would assist her in this, and she'd assist me in what what I did as well. and, and these were programs to try to help young people break the cycle of abuse and and, uh, of of a lot of different things in their life. And one day we're down in in the town where she grew up. And it was lunchtime, and we went to a cafe and had lunch. She, She said afterwards, she said, Would you mind if we take a minute or two for me to get my family's mail? They live in this town, my mother and my four brothers. And I said, Well, of course not. So we go to the post office. She picks up their mail. And she directs me, and we drive to a house. And you wouldn't believe the condition of the house and the family that she come from. It was the most pitiful thing, or as pitiful as anything I have ever seen. And she had four brothers, and they were all on drugs or alcohol. They, would, they didn't hold down a job. They stole. They did all kinds of things. Mother was an invalid. And I'm sitting there in the car while she's taking the mail. How did this girl turn out the way she did? How did she get out of that mess? And we eventually, I chose the right time, talked to her. And you know what she told me? She said, I did not want to be that way anymore. I grew up that way. I did not want to be like that. I wanted to be like the people I saw on the other side of the track, so to speak. And I found out what it took to, to to be that, and that's what I've tried to do. Now, that's what I, I know. That's 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 very simplistic, but when a person comes to that point, they can begin to make the changes in life. And here's the important thing: Christianity, Jesus Christ, the teachings of Christ, and the teachings of the apostles provide that way. It's not something that you embrace that makes your life miserable. that puts you down on every occasion. But it's, it's, it's a, it's a life that makes you enjoy what God has given you in the life that you have. I hope this is making some sense. Some are raised again in godly homes, um, and they're not. Some are Christians, and I think I've kind of covered that. Uh, and they have this baggage that they bring. Let's just read this passage here. John chapter 8 and verse, uh, verse 9. John chapter 8 and verse 9. Many of you probably already know what that, uh, what that passage says, this is about the woman that was caught in the uh, act of adultery and uh, what they were about to do. They were about to stone her. So let's read this. Jesus went uh, went into the Mount of Olives, John chapter 8, verse 1. And early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and, and he sat down and, and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him... A woman taken in adultery, and they set her <coughs> set her in the midst. And they said unto him, Master, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Were they really concerned about the loss so much? Probably not. They were probably more concerned with uh, trying to catch Jesus, you know. So he, he he's going to handle the situation. <clears throat> Verse six. They said they said this, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Very clear. But Jesus stooped down and with a finger he wrote on the ground as he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, they just kept on. He lifted himself and said unto them, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. Boy, I have this. I hear this so many times when we go to someone that has fallen back into a way of sin and people throw that. You know, Jesus was so forgiving of this woman. Well, he was. And I'm not mocking that. He was. But now let's read on. What It didn't stop there. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, uh, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, uh, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And here's the key that I'm trying to get to. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And that last phrase is what people seem to forget. Jesus wasn't condoning the life that she was living. Jesus wasn't condoning what she had done. Jesus wasn't condoning the sin that she's committed. And when you and I come to come before him with a repentant heart and we become his child, he doesn't, cond- he doesn't condone the life that we've lived. He doesn't condone the sin that we've committed. But he's willing through the sacrifice that he made to forgive us of those sins. Is that clear? I hope. I hope. In this particular case, here's this woman. And she's about to be condemned. Well I was being condemned for what she had done. There's no question that she was had done wrong and committed sin. But but Jesus said, I'm not gonna condemn you, just go your way and sin no more. And that's very important statement that oftentimes is left out. The the other passage is is uh, Luke chapter seven, thirty six through fifty, and this is where uh the Pharisee Simon was in the house and asked Jesus to come in for me and and a woman comes in with the uh, precious ointment and begins to weep and to cry. And and uh, her tears were flowing so that she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hairs of her head and anoint his feet with ointment. And Simon is standing over there, and he's thinking within himself, if this man, talking about Jesus, knew what kind of woman this was, he'd have nothing to do with her. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of we, a lot of us are. Shouldn't be. Should do what we can to help. And Jesus, you know, tried to bring this home to Simon, and should be brought home to us. Two men had a, a man had two debtors. One owed fifty pence. One owed five hundred. He forgave them both. Which one's going to love him the most? Which one's going to express that love and that gratitude the most? Simon answered right. I guess the one that he forgave the most. Well, this woman whose sins are many. She's shown that she's repentant. She's shown by her action. And her sins are many, but they're forgiven. But, Simon, you don't see yourself. You don't see your own struggles. And that should be a lesson for all of us, especially if we happen to fall in that category of the individual maybe that was raised in that fine, godly Christian home. Oftentimes we don't see maybe the few flaws maybe that we have. Maybe they are not very many. But we can see the many that others might have. Need to be careful about that. <clears throat> Let me back up here just a minute before I get away from that. I had not done this while, so I'll do it again. I probably have done it here before. Probably done this about everything that I do here. Haven't got that much. Imagine that you go into truck back to the point I was trying to make here. Many sins and few. You go into a restaurant, you order a meal, the waitress says, what would you like to drink? And you said, I want milk. And they bring the drinks, and they bring you your milk, and in your milk, it looks like someone has thrown up. I know it's just before dinner, so hang on. That lady went on says, please, please don't do that illustration. So put your Fingers and your ears that bothers you. But there's noodles floating around in there, little chunks of meat. There's all kinds of things in this milk. And see, so you look around and wonder, where's candid camera, you know? Or, What's going on here? This can't be real. They don't expect this. Bottom line is you wouldn't drink it, would you? Because it's got all that flaws in it. See? Well, that's the way a lot of people are that come to God. They've got so much, so many Mistakes that was made. Sometimes they started out not because of their own background, but because of somebody else's background. And they continue to make the choices in the life that they have. And so they're in that situation. Supposing you're in a restaurant and they bring you a glass of milk and there's one hair, just one black hair floating in that milk. Or one black speck. What's going to go through your mind? What is that speck? Where did that speck come from? Waiter's nose? What? what, You know, you just have. But would you drink it? No. Because it's but it's only got one little teeny wing speck. Folks, you may be the person that has the one little teeny wing speck. But what does God see when He sees it? Same thing we would. uh Uh. You're flawed because of sin. That's where Jesus comes in and purifies both of them. Both of them. i got to throw this into you. Those Many of you remember Truman Teal. He and Stella were dear friends of ours. We traveled and did a lot of work together the last few years of his life. He came to our place one time, and we stopped and uh, uh, met at uh, Sirloin Stockade, which was near where we lived at the time. And he ordered a steak. I ordered a steak. And uh, I noticed he ate about two bites, and that's all he ate. And as we left, you know, he said, he leaned over to me, and he said, there was one long black hair laying across that steak. He said, I just couldn't take another bite. You understand that, don't you? Well, that's kind of the way that God looks at us when He ha- when we have that sin in our life. But whenever we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and he looks at us, we're just as pure, we're just as pure as we can possibly be because of that sacrifice. But again, to continue to walk in the light is going to be up to us, and it's important that we make the kind of choices that's necessary. So where do we begin to ensure that we're walking in the light? Real quickly, we'll close this. Know what our weaknesses are. Know what our baggage is big or little, know what it is, and confess it. And I mean confess it. Uh, I've appreciated very much today the way the prayer service has gone, the specifics that was made in the shepherd's prayer as we opened about people's uh, physical problems. Well, I think that's what we need to do instead of, I've sinned, but I have had a problem with drugs. I have a problem with porn. I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem, you know, and confess that sin, and seek guidance and help from the brethren and those people that can help us. But it starts by admitting the weakness that we have. Now, I'm not promoting AA at all. I'm not promoting the 12-step program, not promoting that at all. But if you look at the 12 steps, the first three people don't really have a problem with. It's the fourth one that they have a problem with. You know what the fourth step, fourth and fifth steps deal with? Making a list of the things that you've offended people with in your drunkenness in your life and going to that individual and making amends for it. And that's where people struggle and stumble. That's where the rubber meets the road. But that's the that's where the recovery begins. Whether that program's a good program or not's not the point. But the concept is a Christian concept, a true one. Determined to be single minded, become an instrument of righteousness. Make that up. Make that in your mind. I was talking to somebody last evening, I think, about when I smoked. You know, I was around people that was much, much stronger than I was. And I had smoked for many years. And I had smoked heavy. I smoked those camels unfiltered. And I smoked them heavy one to two packs a day. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. But when I started preaching the gospel, I did not want to be a smoker. I did not want. People ask me, how did you finally quit? I tried a lot of different ways. I finally said, I just, just made up my mind. That's not what I wanted to do. I did not see that as a way that I should be in the work that I was doing or in any work for that matter. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. I know that that sounds simple, but that's what that's the key. Uh, determined to be single-minded become an instrument of righteousness. Develop a plan, whatever that plan might be. Find a plan. Write it down. If you're battling with some problem or a lot of problems in your life, write down the plan. What do you, okay, I need to visit with so-and-so this day, this day. I need to go to my helper, maybe somebody in the church, somebody that you have confidence that you can uh, go to and talk to about your weaknesses, about your struggles, even if it's in the middle of the night that they'd be willing to listen to you, pray with you, encourage you. Come hold your hand if necessary until the moment passes, if you will. Make whatever changes are necessary in your life so that you will not be a friend of the world. We'll talk about that some more this afternoon, that you will not be a friend of the world. What does that mean? Well, that means if you're going to work and you have a problem with uh, pornography, don't stop at the convenience store to get your morning coffee where they sell that stuff, and you look at it whenever you, you stop there. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't stop where they sell it. Don't go down those streets where you see it all the time and where it's at. Try to find a way that you can live your life in such a way that you're not doing that. And accept the offer for help. Uh, your association with other light walking people, people like you that's willing to make the decision to to live their life and to follow the Lord. The study's yours this morning. We'll continue this and talk about it some more this afternoon. Hopefully that's been helpful to you in some way. Uh, If you have a need this morning, a need for prayer or a need to be obedient to the faith, we talked quite a bit about that this morning. If we can assist, if the church here can assist somebody that has a problem, come to the front and let us know what that might be while we stand and sing the song of encouragement.